I'd love to have you take your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1. As we find ourselves in week number two of a study, we will take through the, the book of Colossians. So many good things ahead of us here, and today then, a uh, second installment on that. wanted to say, as you find your way there and pick up those sermon notes, uh, just a word of greeting uh, to, those who us, to those who are joining us. Uh, later uh, by listening to us online for a whole variety of reasons. Every week there are those who do that uh, locally and around the world, but maybe a few more so in these days. And uh, you saw email, many of you, if you're on the prayer chain list, I sent a note out of the bulletin list just to say uh, we're paying attention to what's going on and um, uh, should should things uh, find themselves in a place where we should cancel something, uh, we'll, we'll let you know. In the meantime, wash your hands, get a tissue, and we'll see you at church. So, uh, and also, I, I wanted to say in that email, just a, a, a word of no shame, because there are people with medical things and other concerns who choose to step away, and just like we give people freedom in all kinds of other areas, that's an important one too. No guilt, no shame, make your family decisions, Lord bless you, and uh, don't be a stranger. So anyway, I want to make sure that everybody hears that. Well, uh, your Bibles are open, Colossians chapter 1, and your sermon notes in hand. I want, to, I want to begin prompting our thoughts toward the topic of the day, which is prayer, and a look at one of the Apostle Paul's prayers, uh, by, by reading uh, some paragraphs from a magazine that I saved, I have saved now for nearly 20 years. I know, I don't hoard things, but certain magazines I keep, because that's a good one. This is Leadership Magazine from fall 2001. Can you imagine? I knew right where to find it because I remembered the article. And after I read you a part of it, you may remember it too. But uh, I want you to hear um, a pastor writing an article entitled Beyond Prayer Requests, subtitled, What If People's Wishes Run Counter to God's Sometimes Painful Path of Transformation? Now, as I read these paragraphs, you might find yourself questioning the pastor's tactfulness, and we'll leave that alone. You may have a point. But what he's after, I hope you'll pick up, okay? So, article goes like this. You would have thought I had just cussed by the way the mouths around the table soundlessly fell open, and all I said was, I don't think I can pray that for you. Mm -hmm. The woman who had just asked us to pray was perhaps the most shocked of all. My home group had just finished eating dinner. We were sharing prayer requests with obvious distress. A person so named had told of her daughter's plan to move in with a boyfriend that weekend and asked us to pray that God wouldn't allow it. I usually try not to take exception to people's prayer requests, but I have a low tolerance for requests that I think God clearly will not answer. On this occasion, I didn't keep quiet. Once they all caught their breath, I explained, I think all of us here can understand why you would want God to stop her from doing that. If anyone feels that, that, that that's what God wants, you're free to pray that way. I'm wondering, however, whether asking God to override someone's ability to make moral choices is, is if, if it isn't similar to witchcraft. Hmm. I could see uh, this mom seething at my bluntness, so I hurried on. What I would suggest we pray for is that God would reveal himself to your daughter. 
that he would let you see clearly that let her see clearly the choice she's making that God will show you how to trust him and love your daughter even if she makes the stupidest mistake of her young life i'd hardly finished before mom blurted out through tears that's exactly what i need hmm we want to think about prayer today and how you pray what do you pray for if you're a parent what do you pray for your kids If you're married, what do you pray for your spouse? What do you pray for yourself? What are you asking God to do? And could it be that sometimes we pray not only very shallow things, but could it also not be that sometimes we pray, um, dare I say, almost contrary to the will of God? Because sometimes God is bringing things into your life to humble you and change you and point you to Christ. And the biggest thing on our mind is getting rid of it. I'd like you to think with me about some big things today. Now, I'm going to say now what I will probably say more than once. And that is, uh, I would never want to say anything about prayer that would keep you from praying. To make you too self-critical to the point where you don't pray for fear of getting it wrong or doing it wrong. Not my point. Not my point at all. I want us to sharpen, though, how we think about this important topic. Fair enough? We're going to pray. I promise to step equally on everyone's toes. Uh, equal opportunity. Yeah, anyway, we'll pray and let's get going. Our Father, we come to your word with great delight. You, you call us as a worshiping community to come, to open the word of God and to, to ask the spirit of God to so use God's perfect inerrant word to shape us and to point us to Christ. And that is what we pray today. Our Father, in places where we need to be sharpened and corrected, maybe where we need our toes to be stepped on, oh God, would you do that with, with great clarity and as always with your, your grace and kindness. So help us today as we come to your word in Jesus' name, amen. So we are beginning a series with Pastor Tyler last week in my absence and then continuing today, Life Under Pressure. And Colossians is a wonderful book that lifts up the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ for all of life. We're going to see that in the weeks ahead. And chapter 1, we're with the Apostle Paul just getting started in this. I mentioned on your sermon notes not only some elements of review that I'll let you read, but a reminder here under today's text that the Word of God has a lot to say about prayer. There are great prayers in the Bible. I list some of the great prayers here text that you should look up and read and learn much from as these folks wrestled with God, brought specific needs to him, prayed scripture, and in so many areas teach us to pray, and of course others. My comments will be under two headings, what prayer isn't, section I'll move through fairly quickly, and then the bigger section, what the Apostle Paul believed that prayer is, and we'll spend more of our time there. But to help us get started, I want to read the text, and your Bibles are open. I want to begin reading at verse 3, admittedly, last week's text that you saw with Pastor Tyler, but I want to read that first paragraph along with the, our, our text today, verses 9 to 14, because there are a number of, of connections between the two. The thoughts that we're looking at specifically are begun in the, chap, in the paragraph before. So hear the word of God then as I read Colossians 1, starting verse 3. Uh, Paul says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Uh, Because since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus 
and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf or on our behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you or qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, our main paragraph then, verses 9 to 14, is one of Paul's prayers. I think highly instructive for us. And so, first of all then, some things that prayer isn't. And I think you'll understand why I take the time to to kind of batter these a bit. First of all, prayer isn't giving God advice on how to run the universe. God never wakes up in the morning, uh, you get my point here, and says, I better check with Jay to see what I should do today. That does not happen. He does not need my advice. I don't know how to run the universe. My advice about how to do so is worth very little. And so in, as I pray, I don't need to give God uh, suggestions. Uh, on, on what I think he should do that would be better than his plan. Prayer isn't talking God into something he doesn't want to do. God isn't sitting in heaven on a throne with his arms crossed, waiting for you to come get him to do something that he's reluctant to do. Not true. Prayer isn't giving God information he does not already have. You never pray and God says, huh, who knew? This doesn't happen. If you wonder about that, I suggest here Isaiah 40 is a great corrective to a small view of God. It's a chapter you should read and read and read until you see God as bigger than what you thought before. The one who holds the universe in the palm of his hands, calls every star by name, holds them in place, knows exactly how to run this place. So Isaiah 40 is a big help. Prayer isn't trivial work. It's a two-part statement here. It isn't trivial work. And it is not a last-ditch effort to be employed when things go horribly wrong and there's nothing else to do. You perhaps have seen those, an old movie where people still prayed in movies where something happens in a hospital and the doctor comes out and says, you know, we've done everything we can. I think it's time to pray. And people go, oh, boy, has it come to this? Yeah, there's, I mean, we've done everything we could do, and I guess we should, I guess we should pray as though it's the last option. Having done everything important, it's time for the last-minute lifeline. No, that isn't the way prayer is presented in the Bible, a last-ditch effort. I like this quote that is attributed to Martin Luther most of the time. Sometimes it's attributed to others, but, but I, I found more uh, connections with him. So here it is. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, he'll forgive me. Prayer isn't conquering God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. Man, I like that. 
We don't pray to a reluctant God who's hard to, uh, where it's hard to get his attention, hard to talk him into something. No, God is not reluctant to hear from us. If, if all you do this week is pick up that bolded phrase uh, and think about it, I think we would do well. So those are some things prayer isn't, all right? So then we shift to what the Apostle Paul believed that prayer is. And our, our text in front of us, that paragraph, of course, uh, a prayer And I'm just going to move through several of these. I want to go to some other texts in a moment. But it's very evident in verse 9, as Paul says, and so from the day we heard, which is what he says back in verses 3 and 4. So I wanted to read that. As soon as I heard about your faith, as soon as I heard about this, we begin to pray for you. It's a first response, not a last response for the Apostle Paul. By the way, uh, these are are folks who, who came to Christ, it would appear, Uh, by the influence of Epaphras, verse 7, not the Apostle Paul. He has not met these folks. And listen, he does not know any specific needs. And yet he prays. He doesn't send him a note saying, well, I'd be happy to pray for you if you'd tell me what to pray about. I mean, somebody somebody have a cold or out of money? Not picking on those as legitimate needs. He's not waiting to hear specifics to say, and I'm going to pray for you. It's the first response When he hears of people coming to faith in Christ, he says, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray ceaselessly for you from the day we heard it. Second, prayer is a normal pursuit for the followers of Jesus. And I italicized and bolded the word pursuit along with the idea of work that I mentioned earlier. And it's not trivial work because if 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 you have made prayer an effort, if you made an effort to pray, you know that there are moments, yes, when you're driving down the road and you pray, you breathe a prayer and it's easy and it's wonderful. But but to get down to praying like you mean it can be hard work. Can I get an amen on that? It is hard work. Our minds wander, interruptions come, uh, our best efforts, because New Year's came and we made a you know New Year's resolution to pray more or X number of minutes a day, it's it quickly becomes hard work. We're busy, busy people. So we cram it in, we cram it in, we cram it in, cram it in until it's gone. I I recognize, I know that, I'm with you. Prayer is a pursuit for beliefs. should be one of yours to pray meaningfully and sincerely for for the work of God, for the work of God's kingdom, for people you love, for the work of the gospel in the community, for for missionaries around the world, uh, for us as a worshiping community. We should be praying about all these. We know that. I'm saying it's a pursuit. And if you say, man, I found it hard work, apparently easy for everybody else, wrong, not true. God's people routinely find, man, this is, this is significant, and it's hard work. It's not just an exercise for the advanced. And I, I reference here chapter 4, because here in this text, Paul says, we pray for you. The apostles are praying. So it's really easy to say, well, well they're apostles. I mean, come on. They're close to Jesus. Of course they pray. Ah, hold on. That's not really what he believed. So I go to chapter 4. So prayer begins the book. Prayer concludes the book. It's like bookends for this wonderful, wonderful short letter. But if you come to chapter 4, you see Paul, as part of his wrap-up to this letter, asking these people to whom he's speaking to pray. He says, pray, continue steadfastly in prayer, keeping watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, the apostles, that God may open to us a door for the word. How does he think that word, the door for that word is going to be opened? He says, people, would you pray for this? that a door for the word would be open? Would you ask God for this? Paul apparently believed that it mattered that people prayed if the gospel was going to be advanced. 
You imagine? He says, pray that God would open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He said, would you pray that I'd be clear when I talk to people about the gospel? Would you pray for this? Help me, Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 1, help me by praying, he says to people. Help me by praying for me, we could say to one another. So prayer is a normal pursuit. It's a pursuit. Work, yes, for followers of Jesus. Paul says, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, before we launch into the rest, if you go to that next bullet point, I'm going to step back for just a minute as an introduction to where we're going to go as we look at the lines upon line to come. I'm saying prayer is about the 30,000-foot view, not just about daily needs. And I want you to hear me very carefully here. I am not in any way despising prayer for daily needs, not at all. Your physical needs, pray for them. Relational needs, family needs, financial needs, job needs, pray for them. But, but here's my point today. Is that all you pray about? What gets most of your prayer time? <clears throat> and I would suggest that for most of us, the daily needs get most of the airtime. And it's interesting to me that in the model prayers we see from Paul, That's not what he's praying about. And so my goal today is not to batter or pick on what we normally pray about, hopefully to add to it. That's my goal today, to flavor it just a bit with some other things and maybe make us think twice about some of the things we do, in fact, pray about. So you'll see here on your study notes some other texts that I want to quickly visit I want you to hear Paul's other prayers or some of them. So I'm going from Colossians kind of in reverse order. I'm going to go to Philippians. I'm just moving back. I just want you to hear it. Hear what Paul prays and think together with me about this. So Philippians 1 then, verse 9, he says, And it is my prayer, and here it is, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. That is, to a congregation, I pray that you'd love more with knowledge and discernment, not just with that icky, drippy stuff. No, knowledge and discernment. Further, that you'd approve what's excellent, that you'd say yes to what's good, because life isn't always about choosing between good and bad. It's choosing what's excellent, between better and best. Keeps going. So as to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I pray that those things would fill your life and your heart. Paul's praying, and he hasn't even mentioned the flu. Imagine, Ephesians, go back with me there, chapter 1. Hear him pray. Ephesians 1, starting verse 15. For this reason, he says, because I've because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, very similar to Colossians, your love toward all the saints. I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That, here's his request. That's what I'm praying for you. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That is, that you'd come to know God more having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints that you as a child of God would understand what an amazing thing it is to be a child of God. That's what I'm praying. 
Because too often it becomes a very small thing. And I'm praying for these people I know and love who are followers of Jesus that they'll have a bigger view of what it means to be a a part of God's family. That's what I'm praying. That they won't be lost in the the daily stuff and, and, and forget. They're children of God. I'm praying that you'll get a hold of that. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? I want you to get a hold of that. God's power coursing through your veins, resurrection power according to the working of his great might. He goes on from there. Same, same power that raised Jesus from the dead courses through your life because of the spirit of God. I pray that you'd get this. That's what I'm praying. Ephesians chapter three, another prayer, same book. Chapter three, verse 14. For this reason, Paul says, I, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named that, here's his prayer, that according to the riches of his glory, he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, that the spirit of God would grip your heart and give you power to know him and love him. That's what I'm praying, that you'd know the power of the spirit of God in you, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, would have strength to understand with with all the other believers, all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you'd be filled up with all the fullness of God. I pray that you would understand the power of God to keep you, that he is holding on to you, that you'd see how much he loves you, that you wouldn't get up in the morning and say, does anybody care? Because you'd know that God has his arms around you, child of God. I pray that God would help you to see how much he loves you. That's what he's praying. That's pretty cool, isn't it? What an amazing thing to pray. I pray that these people would understand what it is to be a child of God. They'd know the love of God for them. They'd see the world through God's eyes. God's, okay, colored goggles. That's what I pray. Man, this is good. And then I reference here as well, John 17, uh, which is, isn't Paul. Of course, that's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He's on his way to the cross, Garden of Gethsemane, pouring out his heart right before the gospel, uh, before, right, before the, right before the cross. And he's praying. He prays for unity, prays for the witness of the gospel, prays for believers to come. Something, and I, I, I don't want to just poke fun, so don't hear that. But markedly absent from the high priestly prayer of Jesus, he doesn't say, and Lord, Peter's got the sniffles. Pray for those things. Lord bless him. But in John 17, he's praying about other stuff. Oh, Father, make your glory known. Make your glory known through your people. Keep us on a, on a right track. Help us to see the big stuff. Keep us from getting stuck in the weeds. The weeds call us. They suck us in. We begin to see the trivial stuff, and before long, we forget there's a big picture. Oh, God, give us a picture of, of, of what you're doing in this world. That's what John 17 is about. Help us to live into the unity that's ours in Christ. He's praying for big things. Okay, come back to Colossians 1 then, and I want to look at this. What's he praying here? Those are some other texts. So Paul says, from the day we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking. Asking what? That you'd be filled with the knowledge of, of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, on your notes here, I put prayers about the pursuit of God's will, not mine. I mean, how many times when we pray, come on now, how many times when we pray are we asking, not thy will, but mine be done? Did you hear what I just said? Rather than not my will, but thine be done. How many times is that? God, here's a suggestion. I'd really like this. In fact, 
This person, if they were wise, would do what I think they should. They're thinking of moving to Arkansas, and I, Jay Mosser, think that's a terrible idea. I know that I have no idea what you might do with them in Arkansas, that you might have a wonderful connection there in Arkansas that they're only going to get some place of growth that they're never going to get if Jay Mosser's will rules. But, oh, God, keep them from moving to Arkansas. Seriously, people. What do you know? Maybe God wants them in Arkansas, for goodness sakes. Let it go. Pray in, is it? Pray instead that God would go with them, guide them, and keep them, and point their hearts to him. And if anybody's actually thinking of moving to Arkansas, believe me, I don't know a thing about it. Strictly an example. <laughs> now, I put in your sermon notes, we often say in jest that we want our kids to hear our voice in their head. And that may be flattering, but is that really what you want? Don't you instead want them to hear God's voice in their head? What is your voice? Several years ago, uh, right after Tim Keller and his wife, Kathy, wrote the book called, um, oh, goodness sakes, The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, Christmas came around. None of our girls were married. I bought them all a copy. <laughs> Heidi, were you in on that too? It seems there were four. No. Uh, wow. Well, all the girls that were living in our house at the time got a copy of The Meaning of Marriage. It was that moment where the, they'd come out from underneath the Christmas tree and they all go, feels like a book. I go, yep, it's a book, you know. <laughs> huh, the meaning of marriage, what are you trying to say? And I said, this book is the closest thing to your dad's voice on this topic you're ever going to hear. So read that book. And uh, some of them said they did. So that's good. I'm just saying, ultimately, as much as it flatters me to think they hear dad's voice in their head, I really want them to hear and learn to hear God's voice in their head. Dad can be wrong. I mean, possibly. No, no, certainly, over and over again. And I want my kids to hear God's voice and learn to listen to him. My voice won't always be there echoing through. Certainly won't be here physically for the rest of their life, I expect. I want them to hear God's voice. So Paul says, I am praying that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, a couple of textual things. The will of God that he has in mind here, I believe from the layer upon layer that's here, he's not talking about the wisdom of, about knowing God's will for what car you buy, green, blue, or yellow. It's not about that. It's not about what college you're going to go to or who you should marry. It isn't that. We often think about knowing God's will in those veins. That's not this text. This is about God's will in how to live, how to be a follower of Jesus, how to live wisely in this world. I think that's what he's praying about here. It's not about that God will help you figure out Monday what clothes to wear. Wrong not it. So I'm asking, Paul says, I'm asking this for these people he's never met. I don't cease to pray that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That's the goal of his prayer, that you'd know his will and therefore walk worthy of the Lord. Now in the ESV, right at this moment, there's a colon. You see this? Um, fully pleasing to him. Now, of course, that's not in the original text, like all the other punctuation elements in the verse divisions, I know, but, but it's a good one to place there because what follows then is a four-part description of what it means to have a worthy walk. He's going to spell out four things. I have those for you on your study notes. Spell out one, two, three, four. That's the way they're presented in the text. And I want you to see the details of what Paul's, Paul prays. And then I'm going to well, well, we'll work with these for a moment or two. Here's, here's what it's about. A walk worthy of the Lord. It looks like this. Bearing fruit in every good work. That's the first. A fruitful life in spiritual things. 
He doesn't say making a lot of money, having a cool job, driving a cool car, getting a bigger house, none of which is necessarily wrong. That's not his point. I so pray for you that you'd walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in everything. And that means these things, bearing fruit in every good work. Second, increasing in the knowledge of God. I'm praying that you'll grow in your understanding of what God is like, the God of the universe, the God who holds you in his hands, the God who knows your name and made you, gave you breath for a reason, who created you with the gifts and abilities that you have. That God, I want you to grow in the knowledge of of him. Put in your study notes, it's not just about collecting money or status or being happy. How many times, oh, please don't say this in my hearing, I just want my kids to be happy. Oh, stop it. Is that really it? Is that, all, is that all we have? I won't pick on you if you say that in front of me, but I'll inwardly breathe a great sigh of relief and say, oh, Lord, help them. I mean that. You, is that it, parent? You, I just want them to be happy. Is that all you want? Because I don't think it is if you think biblically. You want more than that. I want them to know the God who made them. And on today, today's, if they're not happy and God is at work in their life to humble them and teach them something amazing about him, I pray for that. Maybe their greatest happiness, maybe that's what you have in mind. But sometimes it means just an easy life, and I think that's utter nonsense. Third, being strengthened with God's power, Paul prays. Verse 11, being strengthened with God's power according to his glorious might for this purpose. Look at this. This amazing prayer for endurance and patience. Now, with joy, uh, there's debate among scholars as to whether the joy is attached to endurance and patience or whether it belongs in verse 12 and it's joyously giving thanks, as I think perhaps the NAS does. Uh, either way, I think it fits. The ESV puts the with joy to endurance and patience. Wait, wait, wait. Endurance and patience strongly implies there's something to endure and be patient about. Are you tracking with me? Why wouldn't you just, I'm picking on us here, Why wouldn't you just pray, like we typically do, that God would get rid of all sources of stress in the lives of my children and my life? How about that? Isn't that a good prayer? Lord, give my kids an easy life. And give me an easy life. Take away all my financial problems. Give me the coolest job and the most wonderful boss in the world. In fact, I'd want to be the boss. A car that never has a problem. House that never breaks. Relationships that are always healthy and whole. God, give me that. Any problems with that? Well, yes. First of all, we live in a fallen world, and you just described heaven. Now, again, I'm not saying don't pray about these needs. Please get this. I'm not saying don't bring to the throne of grace that broken relationship or that special need or that family. I, I know. I'm also saying this. Are you aware that those very pressures could be gifts from God to point you to Christ? Are you aware of this? These could be gifts of God, like given to the Apostle Paul, that he prayed three times. His thorn in the flesh would be removed, and three times God said, no, it's my gift to you. Don't you see it? My grace is enough for you. You prayed three times, you'd, I'd, I'd remove that, and I'm telling you, no, because I've given you that pressure, that thorn in the flesh, as a gift from a good and gracious God because I love you. Could you please see that and trust me? We've got to be careful. We don't just want to, want to pray against the very things that God will use to bring our wayward children to him. Think about these things. Again, I'm not saying don't ask God, but I'm saying be aware that there's other things at work in this world, that God's doing things. 
You, you, you and I very rarely take major steps forward in our sanctification on a day at the beach. It's usually in the freeway back up getting there. That's where we grow. Think about this as you pray. Now, verse 12. Giving thanks, joyfully giving thanks perhaps, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you or qualified us, again, depending on your translation, who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Giving thanks. When do we normally give thanks the most? When, when do our hearts usually just overflow and saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. Isn't it, isn't it on the days that the sun is shining? I don't just mean that literally. It's on those days that we typically say, Lord, thank you for that. And we should. Things worked out. That was healed physically or relationally. Thank you. We should say thank you. And Paul's suggesting here that we give thanks not about how easy today is. Do we give thanks because God, however the day is, he has qualified you as a child of God to be a partaker of his divine glory. He's qualified you to be an inheritance, uh, to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. Do you see what God has done? There's language here, by the way, again, textual, my goodness, so far beyond us today, but because of time, there are hints here of the Exodus in the Old Testament, the inheritance to a Jewish crowd. Some of these, these are drawing on strains from the Old Testament, like a musical score, pulls in other familiar themes. Paul's doing it here. This inheritance and the saints and deliverance from one kingdom and going to another. And it's a reminder that the gospel, in the gospel, Christ is like a greater Moses, a new Moses, leading a new exodus. Uh, That's just interesting stuff to think about. I think Paul's on that by some of the terms that he uses and massages into the text. These are things God is doing. Do you still thank God? Do you still joyfully give thanks on the days when the sun isn't shining? Do you still say, oh, Lord, thank you for your presence in my life today? Thank you for the patience you're teaching me. Thank you that right now, <laughs> I have nothing else to do but to cry out to you. Thank you, God, for this moment. Do you say that? Maybe we should. Now, I'm wanting us to think this through. The, the Bible just drips with this kind of instruction. Hebrews 11, that, that, that catalog, catalog of, of faith, men and women of faith down through the centuries. You go to the end of chapter 11, greater time would go there. End of chapter 11, there's a section where, where saints who walked in victory, we call it, are mentioned. Shut the mouths of lions. Women receive back their, their, their loved ones from the dead. Through faith conquered kingdoms. Through weakness were made strong. Isn't this glorious? It's wonderful. We all like that. Thank you, Lord. And then right in the middle of a verse, it shifts. And they, some, and some, and some were persecuted and torn asunder. Men and women of whom the world is not worthy. What, did, did, did God love some more than another? No, some days the sun is shining and some days it isn't. And all of it's a walk of faith. All of it. Knowing how to, as Paul says, to abound and say, Lord, thank you for the good. And now it's really hard. And oh God, thank you for your presence and your mercy in my life today. Now, I'm asking us here. Parents, as you pray for your children, what do you pray for them? And I understand praying about all the details. I do. Again, I'm not asking you to take that away. I'm asking you to go beyond that and pray that whatever is going in their life, that God would build endurance and patience and spiritual depth and point them to Christ. 
Could you pray that too? Could you pray that whatever pressures they face or whatever failures they go through, that they'll come from that with a greater humility and a love for Christ? Don't just pray that God will give them an easy life. Why would you do that? I think about that when when I pray for people at a wedding, young starry-eyed couple, and we're going to pray God's blessing on them. How easy it is to say, oh, God, give them an easy life and a good life, making lots of money, and, and why would you pray that for them? Why? Why wouldn't you pray instead for God's presence in their life, that God would humble them and turn them to Christ and give them a rich and richness and a depth in their relationship with him that in 30 years, 40 years, 50 years will bear fruit for the glory of God? Why not pray for that? Pray for easiness. What is that? What are you thinking? You pray for the person you're married to if you're married. What do you pray for them? Oh, God, help them to get the garage organized. Seriously, is that it? You know, help not to burn the souffle. My wife, I don't want her to burn the souffle next. Seriously? That's what you're praying about? How about, how about praying about something with some substance to it? You can pray about this souffle in the garage. I don't care, but, but pray for something that matters. God, give this person to whom I married spiritual depth and richness. Turn them to you. Teach them, oh God, what a humble heart looks like along with me. Why not pray for that? What about praying for yourself? What do you ask God to do? What, remove all your problems? Why are you praying that? Why not rather pray? Oh, yes, pray. You, you understand what I mean. Pray about those things. But, but at the same time, say, oh, God, and if you choose to keep this pressure in my life, purify me through it. Keep me dependent on you. Don't let my heart wander. Don't let me doubt you today until the day that you remove that pressure from me. Why do we just want to pray for an easy life? Pray for more. Pray for more. Pray for our missionaries the same way. Can you pray if you don't know the request? I love getting specific requests, but you can pray anyway for all of these things. You can. Well, I want us to be a praying congregation. I want us to be praying families. I want us to be praying individuals. And I want you, along with me, to pray not only about the easy details, the obvious. I want to pray for bigger things than that. I want to pray for more. Love to have you join me. All this is because of the gospel. All this is because Christ died, rose from the dead. That's why. Stand with me. Can we pray together? Our Father, there's so much to think about in this realm of prayer. We don't want to, in any way today, be intimidated about the way we pray, shamed, turned away from praying for daily needs, not at all. But, oh, Father, would you expand our hearts, expand our vision, that we would think bigger kingdom of God stuff, gospel things, gospel good for all those that we love and for our own heart with you. All this because Jesus died and rose again. Father, pray for this church family, for all of our current needs uh, with health concerns and all the other things that continue to go on in our lives. Father, we want to live in faith. We want to live with our eyes on Christ whatever comes our way. We do that today with gratefulness in Jesus' name. Amen.